I think that Ecclesiastes, because it considers everything else, and especially when you think about the fact that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And in the, the, if Solomon is the preacher of Ecclesiastes, and he's reflecting back on the vanity of everything, that makes sense that that should be last. However, that factors into the way that I interpret Song of Solomon, because I have an interpretation that is a little different than uh, most people, if not everybody. <laughs> and I'll get to that in just a second. So I'm going to circle right back. But I think that the, the discussion of perspective, if Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, I think it follows this. Because um, Song of Solomon is one of two books in the Bible that never mentions God. Uh, the other one, of course, is Esther. Uh, but uh, the word, the name of God is never mentioned in Song of Solomon. And yet it is uh, considered a very important book for the Jewish people. They read it at Passover uh, on the eighth day of Passover, they read uh, all of the collection of um, what they call the Megaleth, but it's um, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Song of Solomon, and maybe Proverbs. Um, so I think Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon, but the official name is not the Song of Solomon, but the Song of Songs. And um, the reason that some of our English Bibles call it the Song of Solomon is because in the first verse, it says that he wrote it, sort of. Um, the term Song of Songs is a superlative term, a lot like Holy of Holies or King of Kings. It's just saying it's the greatest hit. It's the, it's the greatest of the thousand and five songs that Solomon wrote. Um, First Kings tells us that he wrote a thousand and five in his lifetime. Um, so the, it, it, the, the, the English translation of the title would be the greatest love song. It's, it's the, the song of songs. It's the, it's the unchained melody of their day. Some of you know who that is. Um, yeah. Um, one Bible says that probably it's written by Solomon, probably early in Solomon's reign. Yeah, that's the part I disagree with. I think he wrote it late. And and, and I'm going to give you the theories, and then I'm going to tell you my theory. There's a lot of ways to study Song of Solomon. One is you can just ignore it, like most of us do. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon from Song of Solomon. One, another is that you can take it way out of context. There are some verses in here um, I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. We've turned that into a children's song they sing at Vacation Bible School, but it was quasi-erotic when it was written in the scripture, and we just turned it into a children's song. And so there, there, there are lots of ways to handle it. You can handle it as allegory. And by that, I mean that the Jewish people read Song of Songs and they say that the male lover in the story is God and the female is the nation of Israel. And borrowing Paul's imagery from Ephesians, where he talks about the church being the bride of Christ, the Christian allegory for this is that the male is God and the female is the church and the church is the, the bride of Christ. Um, another way to uh, look at it is that it's historical, that it's in fact a, a description of an affair 
that uh, Solomon had. Um, another way to look at it is that it's a love song. And that's the way I want to look at it. I, I think it's just a love song. And I, I actually think it's a collection of love songs that aren't in any particular order. So in some of the songs, we're going to feel like that the, the people are married. And in some of them, we feel like they're not married. But um, I, I want to let you know that you can read lots of commentaries that are going to tell you lots of things. Um, but what I'm going to tell you that I believe is sort of a hybrid of all of them. Um, if you are watching online, I hope you've had a chance to download or, or copy or print the little uh, chart. We sent it out in an email, or if you look in the chat comments that are in the, uh, the bottom of the screen on Zoom, the little chat thing that has a number two by it. If you click that, you'll see a link to the, uh, the chart that is from the Bible Project. And they do a, a great job. Um, I'm going to go there first and give an overview of the book. And then I'm going to come back and tell you my theory and kind of go verse to verse. So the Song of Songs, which is of Solomon. And that's a little unusual way to describe it because we're not really sure. They don't just come out and say that he wrote it. Most people believe that he wrote it or that it is a song for Solomon or that it is a song in the wisdom tradition of Solomon. So the of Solomon is... Uh, is not is it doesn't carry the same weight as the Psalms that say a Psalm of David. It's uh it's pretty much telling us that um that that Solomon is connected to this. Uh this uh writer who prepared the chart, he says that one of his problems with Solomon wrote writing this is that the song is about somebody who was um monogamous in their love. It's uh, the, the whole song is about one man and one woman who are so crazy about each other that they uh, use pretty graphic terms to describe one another. And Solomon just really doesn't fit that. Uh, the man's voice doesn't seem like it's Solomon's uh, voice. Solomon is mentioned in the book, but he never speaks. If it's uh, another male besides him. So straight down chapter one, verses two through seven, our introduction. Then there's sort of a, a spiraling theme of sometimes they're together, sometimes they're apart. When they're apart, one of them's looking for the other one. And when they're not apart, they're looking at each other, describing how beautiful they think the other one is. Um, so so the, the first theme that's in that, that cycle that goes chapter two through the beginning of chapter eight, um, that, that's a, um, an intense desire, seeking and finding, embracing, uh, being together, being apart, and then the other theme that takes place there is their, their physical attraction. And that's where most people get a little hung up in the Song of Solomon is that the metaphors that are used, uh, as you can see in the picture that's there, would make the appearance of the bride very, very strange. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Your teeth are like lambs. Your neck is a tower your lips drip honey, your eyes are like doves. And so it, it would be a very odd uh, portrait of someone that you're trying to impress with your language of love, but uh, we're not really expected to take the metaphors uh, in modern day terms. We just, we just get that they were trying to uh, come up with different ways to say to the other one how beautiful you are. Um, now, the 
Chapter 8, verses 6 through 14 is a conclusion, and we're going to get back to that in just a minute because I, I think that's really the strength of the book and, and pretty much lets us know um, a lot. Okay, here's, here's the way that I think I want to read Song of Solomon. I believe that Solomon started off his kingship a very wise man. We, we get that in the early part of Kings, First uh, Kings, when he's described as the wisest man in the world, the man who wrote thousands of wise proverbs, uh, the man who settled the issue of who's the mother of the baby by offering to cut the baby in half. Uh, that's where we get the phrase split the baby. Um, and, and of course, the real mother said, I'll give up the child before I would see it die. So his wisdom was known throughout the land. But then the Bible describes him as um, angering God because he began to marry women, uh, many for political alliance, and some for, my wife is coming in the back of the room. Oh, you're fine, are you okay? I know, but I can't deal with that right now. <laughs> Sorry about that. So uh, I, I, I think that Solomon understood that he had gotten crossways with God over all of this. I think he, I, I think that at some level, the repentance that his father, David, uh, wrote about in Psalm 51, I, I believe that Solomon is writing this as his recognition of what he wished he would have done. I think he wrote it. I think the poetry is his, but I don't believe that the male in the story is intended to be him. I think it's intended to be a shepherd from a rural area, maybe like his father was before all of the king stuff happened. And so I believe that the, the two figures in the story are a shepherd and perhaps a shepherdess who were common folk. They weren't royalty, but they had a love that was uncompromising. And, and that's where I find the strength of the book. So I think that he was perhaps writing it as his song of repentance, as his song of, I, I wish this was the way that, uh, that I had done it, rather than um, the 700 wives and the 300 concubines, and eventually uh, God being angry with Solomon. He allowed it, of course. He didn't take Solomon's life, and he didn't unbless Solomon's kingship. But I think that the fact that he knew that he had displeased God, I can almost hear his father's words, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and I will instruct sinners. I will instruct uh, others. And I can almost hear his daddy's voice uh, in the tone of the book, if not the words themselves. And so uh, if you'll take a look at it with me, uh, going a little bit verse by verse, um, the main themes... Sex is a godly expression of intense love within a marriage. Nowhere in the book do we have the sense that this is not celebrating marriage love. It's not celebrating, uh, some writers say that it's about courtship and then marriage, and that it's difficult to know which part of the poetry is courtship and which part of the uh, poetry is marriage. If we remember that it's a collection of love songs and that they're in no particular order, 
We don't get really hung up about that. It's not meant to be a narrative. It's not meant to be sequential. It's meant to be a series of love songs that are sort of cobbled together to form a collection of the way that physical intimacy is supposed to be within the boundaries of marriage. So a second theme is that husbands and wives should appreciate each other and compliment each other. We think it's a little uh, uncomfortable, some of the imagery that's being used, but nonetheless, it, it just reminds us that husbands and wives and friends and loved ones, we ought to we ought to say nice things about each other. We, we ought to say nice things to each other. And, uh, and so if we, if we get uncomfortable with the poetry, husbands, if we get uncomfortable with the poetry, wives, maybe we should be more uncomfortable that we never talk to each other this way. Uh, third theme, uh, constant communication. There, there's, a, there's a constance about the seeking and finding the, I, I, I need to know where you are. I want to find you when I'm not with you. I dream about you. Uh, there's, there's a constant communication and a constant presence that is expected and, and celebrated. And then uh, the last theme that I would point out that we can see in the diagram is that you see the that however the poems were arranged, we see a growing intensity of their love. We see a love that uh, at, at one time in the end, it, the, the, the bride says, he came to my mother's house. <laughs> and you get the idea that they're, they're so comfortable in their relationship that they're fine with the in-laws, they're fine with the outlaws, they're fine with all of it. And so the, 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 the theme is, is a... It's, it's a very sensual book. It's, it's intended to be. And the fact that it is in the scripture is uh, a lot of fun uh, because we get to try to figure out what's going on. So what was the third theme? Just to, it was a, that they're, they're sensual. Uh, constant communication and constant presence is a theme. They, they seek each other. They, they, uh, they express their love and their uh, physically, um, and they uh, they just like being with each other. All right, any questions before we dive into the text itself? Anything you've heard about Song of Solomon? And, and leave me alone a little bit, because there are a lot of people that say that Solomon is the guy that's in there. A lot of, there are even some people that say that the Song of Solomon is Solomon trying to seduce uh, a shepherd's woman, and that he's he's trying to to give her uh, happy words and happy thoughts to draw her away from her true love. And uh, I just I just don't find a lot of room for that. And so my my conclusion is that God is drawing this man to Himself. He is he is allowing him to be on a pathway of repentance. And so what we have, in my opinion, is Solomon's uh, wistful uh, reflection about what he knows that married love is supposed to be like, because he's been living out a pretty cheap imitation, All right? So the first chapter, uh, the first four verses would be considered the introduction. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Obviously, the bride is talking. Many of your Bibles tell you who's talking. It'll say he or she, others, others. Those are the three uh, uh, voices of Song of Solomon. He is the groom. She is the bride. Others are, are a chorus of... Uh, uh, maybe virgins or or young women that the bride is trying to maybe it's her her uh, bridesmaids uh, the the young women who are not yet married and uh, she has some instructions for them that we'll see in just a minute so so she speaks Alan, for a while. Yeah. Alan, can I ask you a question? Just a historical question. These seven hundred. Sure. 
wives and 300 concubines. Did he even see all these women or did he just gather them to show how wealthy he was? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> likely it's a combination. A whole lot of them were likely political alliances and the marriage was in name only. Okay, thank uh, you. Move on. I don't yeah. want to slow you down. I just wondered. No, and the and the concubines probably were, uh, you know, I I know this sounds awful, but he likely inherited them from his father. <laughs> that that had to be a great reading of the will, but uh, <laughs> the you know it, it, likely there was a a sense of. Uh, the, the the younger ones, as a matter of fact, one of the um, one of the writers thinks that the young woman that Solomon is trying to get her attention, and I, I didn't mention this because I really don't agree with it, but he thinks it's Abishag who is the the young woman who uh, laid down with David to keep him warm uh, when he was on his deathbed, and that she became the object of affection for um, the other son of uh, Absalom, the other son of, not Absalom, uh, end of First Kings, the other brother who was vying for the kingship. Uh, and uh, one of the first acts of Solomon's kingship is to have him executed because he had asked for the virgin who laid with David but did not have intercourse with him, uh, he requested that she be given to him. And Solomon said, why didn't he just ask for the kingdom? And that's uh, when Solomon had him executed. And one writer thinks that this, this maiden in the story is that woman. I think that's such a stretch that uh, it was maybe a, a commentator doing research with a little too much wine. Who's that? Abishag at the end of First Kings, uh, at the end of Second Samuel, Is and king of, king of Judah. Is that, no. uh, he was David's other son by another woman besides Bathsheba, and he proclaimed himself king. And uh, Gary, did you look up his name for me? Yeah, let's see. Um, it's at the very end of First Kings or very end of Second uh, Samuel. And in the beginning of First uh, Kings, First um, uh, verse, Kings chapter one, Adonijah. Adonijah was the son who set himself up as the king, and uh, Bathsheba went to uh, David and said, "No, Solomon is supposed to be the king," and so Solomon was named the king, and he had Adonijah executed in his first. Uh, week. So in other words, uh, like, like father, like son. Well, David said, be careful who you let live. Um, that was, it was a particularly brutal kingship, but, uh, you know, when we get a new president, he pretty much wipes out the, all of the people who were in the cabinet and so forth. Every king wants his own people. That, uh, fortunately is not as violent as it was back in that day. What's a shoe of uh, it's a region of Israel. So there was a, a, an area. Um, Bill asked, what's a Shulamite? Um, it's a little bit bug. Uh, a, there was, it's, it's one of two things. It's either a region where this young lady was from, because it mentions some other geography, or it's a feminine form of Solomon. And if if Solomon is making this story up, then it that makes sense to me that his leading lady would be a feminized form of himself and the leading man would be him. And so uh, it would either way, I believe that he's writing this story and that it is fictitious and not meant to be historical. All right. So the woman starts off, the woman speaks far more than the man in the story. And I'm just going to leave that where it is. But there are, Nancy Bill choked on his coffee. 
Um, there, there are the three voices that are here. The three voices that are here are the woman, the man, and the chorus. And the chorus is the bridesmaids. And so she talks about letting him uh, kiss her. And then in verse four, draw me after you. Let us run. We, we have no responsibilities except each other. And, and that's, I can hear Solomon going, wouldn't that be nice? Life was simpler then. The king has brought me into his chambers. And one writer said this so beautifully. I don't know if I can say this at, um, on Sunday, but one writer said, this young woman was so overwhelmed with her shepherd boy that he was a shepherd by day and a king by night. <laughs> and it was like, we, we, we see early on that Solomon is putting voice into the woman's mouth saying, I don't need a king. I've got my man. I don't need royalty. I've got my shepherd. And the fact that the shepherd became a king in David and that, um, that Jesus is the good shepherd, I think all the imagery is appropriate. I think all of the imagery comes out of that. But uh, I, I see throughout the book that she's not interested in Solomon, and he's writing that into her. Wouldn't I love a woman who would love me just for me, without political alliances, without the trappings of the kingdom? Wouldn't it be nice to have a woman who loves me for me? That, that, that's, that's Alan's take on it. I, I didn't find it a lot of other places. But, but it, it, it's consistent to me. The chorus, uh, we, result, we exult with you. Way to go. Love the way you love. Then she picks up the story. Uh, this would give credence, Bill, to the uh, Shulamite, uh, Shulam being an area, because she says, I am dark but lovely. I, I work outside. I don't get to stay in the palace and, and not let the sun uh, tan my, my skin. Daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, out in the wilderness, do not gaze at me because I am dark. The sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. You get a little hint that the brother-in-laws were not uh, pleased with this union. They're not pleased with this marriage. They made me a keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard, I have not kept. I have not kept up my appearance. I have not paid attention to my looks. Then in verse eight, the, the male responds, you're the most beautiful woman I can ever imagine. And then he compares her to uh, a, a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Not really sure what that means, but I think it's a compliment. Um, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. You look good in jewelry. You got jewelry around your neck. The chorus pipes in. Then uh, uh, she comes back. Uh, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. While, while the king is laying around his palace, my beloved is to me a fragrance. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Again, you're talking about the wilderness. Engedi is uh, south of the Sea of Galilee. It's it's a it's a wilderness area, and so he reminds her of how beautiful he is. Um, she reminds him, "Well, you're beautiful." And then we have verse two, uh, chapter two. Uh, and it goes back and forth here. Uh, the verse that I was talking about in Vacation Bible Schools, chapter 2, verse 4, he brought me to the banqueting house, the house of wine. Uh, his banner over me is love. And, and you almost hear the, the, the woman saying, I really don't need the palace. He brought me into the banqueting house. Our, yeah. Our bed... And our bed is ver verdant. Oh, what's verdant? I mean, 
um, alive, I believe, active. Uh, look it up. Or... <laughs> yeah. What verse are you in? Uh, what verse has verded? Uh, 16. Of, um, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 16. How handsome you are. Well, this, my translation says that our couch is green. Yeah, that's what I thought. Verdant was. Green. I got luxuriant, verdant, luxuriant, green, green lush. I, I said our bed is lush with foliage. Okay, our bed is lush with foliage. The hits just keep on coming. Um. Then uh, she says, "I verse five of chapter two. I I'm sick with love. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me." And then in chapter two, verse seven, there's a a phrase, an admonition that's repeated two other times besides this one in the scripture. It's her counsel to the young women, to the, to the virgins. She says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Uh, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, she, he says that, or the, 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 Bride says that two other times in the book. It's, it's like a, a recurring theme or a bridge uh, in the song. And, and she's saying to the young maidens, the kind of love that I have with my man would not be possible if we cheated. It would not be possible if we got a head start. If we didn't wait for marriage, we could not have known this kind of passion. And that's that's basically what she's saying to the maidens. Um, then uh, the rest of chapter two, uh, she uh, talks about him again um, a lot. Um, he doesn't respond. Uh, verse 16 of chapter two, my beloved is mine. I am his. Um the, the the imagery is is intentional in verse 15 of chapter two our vineyards are in blossom uh the time is right we are right we waited long enough it's time to to acknowledge that everything's in bloom um then in chapter three it's the first of two dreams that she has. And she's really insecure in her dreams. She's 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 just uh, she's terrified. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him and found him not. And the the cycle that the uh, the other writer pointed out to us, uh, we we see the um, uh, the the cycle of we're apart now we're together we're apart now we're together well the first dream sequence here is they're apart she can't find him uh verse two so i'm gonna go find him i'm gonna rise i'm gonna go about the city it's at night this isn't safe i will seek him i i can't find him verse three the watchman found me as they went about in the city have you seen him uh, when I passed them, when I found them, scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loved. So in her dream, she asked the watchman, where's my guy? And right after she asked him, she found him. Keep that in mind, because in her second dream, it doesn't turn out so well. I found him. I held him. I wouldn't let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house into the very chamber of her who conceived me. There's that daughters of Jerusalem again. Verse five. Ladies, wait. I adjure you by the gazelles and the does that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. 
Now, the next section is what convinced me that Solomon is writing about a love that he wished he had. He does an out-of-body experience, and he arrives for the wedding. He's describing now Solomon. This isn't the wedding between the groom and the bride in the story. This is Solomon's wedding. And so he describes it. What is that coming up from the wilderness? Columns of smoke, perfume, all the fragrant powders. It is the litter of Solomon, meaning a, a, a carriage or, a, or a, 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 something to carry him on. Around it are six mighty men, 60 mighty men, an armed guard, all of them expert in war, wearing swords. King Solomon himself made a carriage from the wood of Lebanon, posts of silver, back of gold. And, and now we hear the voice of the bride in verse 11. Get out, O daughters of Jerusalem. Go look at this guy. Look at this pompous person who is parading through the streets, the crown which his mother put on his head on the day of his wedding, the gladness of his heart. The male says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. You are beautiful. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Men, try that. See how it works for you. <laughs> my my thought about this whole thing <clears throat> is that the, the woman is telling her bridesmaids, because it, it follows verse 5, wait until it pleases. Wait for the right time. Go out in the streets. Look at Solomon. Look at him. Yeah, we don't even know which wedding this was. We don't know which of seven. Did he do this 700 times? We don't know. But it's almost a, a, a little bit of a mocking tone where the, the bride says, ladies, look at this. Is this what we want? Is, is this the guy we want? Or do we want the guy who in chapter 4, verse 1, he captures my attention. He looks deep into my eyes and he says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. And you can almost hear the woman going, I'll take that every time. I'll take that over to the guy who has to be carried through the streets. And then he tells her all the things that we don't understand that make a really strange portrait. Uh, your hair is like goats. Your teeth are like sheep. Your, your neck is like a tower. Your breasts are like fawns. Uh, I guess that she was just captured by the love song, but... Um, so verse 8, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. So if, uh, if Schumann is a place, then it's near the northern part of Israel um, where Lebanon and Mount Hermon are. Um, captivated my heart, verse 9. How beautiful uh, your love. Don't get hung up when he calls her his sister. Uh, that, that was not an incestual comment. That was that, um, that she was family. She was, she was so much a part of him now that she was family. And so he, he talks about her, uh, a sister, a bride. Look at verse 12 and kind of, uh, circle that one. I've got to pick up the pace here. Uh, a garden is locked, my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Uh, some have thought that referred to the courtship, uh, that if her garden is locked, it's not available to him. Uh, and the metaphor is obvious, but, but also keep in mind the garden metaphor, because at the end of the book, it's going to circle back to the Garden of Eden when nakedness was not a problem, when vulnerability was just part of life, when the man and the woman lived in complete dependence on God, because at the end of this, he's going to sort of point back to that as another example of perfect love was much simpler than what we have now. Um, in chapter four, verse 16, 
that's the very center of the poem. There are 111 lines before it and 111 lines after it. The reason that's significant is this is sort of the, the turning point uh, where he begins to move towards resolution. And he starts off the second half of the poem, let my beloved come to his gardens, eat its choicest fruit. You, you hear the creation imagery, right? The fruit of the tree. Uh, of, uh, you, can, you can eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden except that one. And so the, the, the language here is uh, uh, going back. Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, I came to the garden. I gathered myrrh, honeycomb, wine with milk. What was the promised land called? The land of milk and honey. So he's combining the imagery of the Garden of Eden and the promised land. And he's just saying that this kind of love brings you to the best place ever. The best place you could imagine. The Garden of Eden, the promised land, all of the good places of, here we go, covenant promise. Because this kind of love is based on covenant promise. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve. God made a covenant with the Israelites. The husband and wife have made a covenant with each other. It's in that context that this kind of love can blossom. Then the bride has another dream. So we have dream sequence number two, chapter five, verse two. The chorus is chimed in, of course. Eat, friends, drink, be drunk with love. Man, that's something you want to try on your wife. <laughs> Honey, let's get drunk with love. I'm guessing that's not going to work out well. But if that doesn't work, try that your hair is like goats. Okay, she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. You've had those dreams that are so vivid. You were pretty sure you were awake. You you smelled and you tasted and you, you touched. She has slept, but her heart is awake. Wait, my beloved is knocking on the door. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Open the door. And she says, ah, I'm in bed. Got my night clothes on. I've already bathed my feet. It, I love this. Solomon has put a, just a tinge of selfishness in here. Right? And then the response of the husband is so typical. I finally got up. Huh? A, a lot everywhere in here. The, the, the imagery in verse 5 is not to be missed. But he says, my beloved put his hand to the latch. In other words, enough knocking. I'm coming in. My heart was thrilled, she said. I arose to open the door for him, but he got mad and left. <laughs> she said, I don't want to be put out and get out of bed because I'm already dressed and bathed and in the bed. Come back tomorrow night. And he says, I may not come back at all. So we get the, the selfishness trade-off in verse in chapter five, I opened to my beloved chapter five or six, but my beloved had turned and gone. He left. He wasn't patient. I sought him and found him not. I called him. He didn't even answer me. So there is such a realistic. They're married, but Solomon goes. Yeah, it's not always peace in the valley. Sometimes we trade selfishness with one another. How do we get past that? I'm glad you asked. The watchman found me, and they went about in the city. So she goes out at night again in her dream, and she sees the same watchman. She asks him where her man is, and instead of finding her man immediately, apparently the watchman was abusive. The watchmen, they beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil. She dreamed about being raped. 
and it's it's horrible. She 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 is overcome in her dream with the horror of being separated from her man and being exposed to the uh, the lack of protection in the world. So what does she do? Say to the maidens, ladies, if you find my beloved, will you tell him I am sick with love? So the chorus is in her dream, and she starts to tell him the same thing that she has been telling them. Wait, wait on it. Wait on your love. And, okay, so she apparently wakes up or still in her dream. The chorus says, why is your guy such a big deal? Why is your man any better than any other man? Verse 9, chapter 5. Why is your beloved more than another? Why is your beloved more than any other that you lecture us like this? What do you mean help us find him because he's better than anybody else? Well, what do you mean by that? The bride says, well, let me tell you. And so she starts on the, my beloved is, and she goes on to tell about how physically attractive he is, how comforting he is, how much of a friend he is. So I believe she woke up between verse 8 and verse 9. And or maybe she wakes up after verse seven and goes to the ladies. Hey, it's it's horrible when I'm apart from him. It's awful. I had this terrible dream because uh, I was apart from my guy. And so they say to her, well, where's he gone uh, in your dream? Where 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 was he? And she answers chapter six, verse two. Well, he's gone down to the garden. He's uh, he's down there to, to to gather lilies. I'm my beloved, so I, I'm going to go down there where he is. And she goes to wherever he is in, and she says, "I had this horrible dream." Uh, and he says to her, "You are beautiful. You're lovely. You're awesome. Uh, I can't gaze at your eyes. Your hair is like a flock of goats. I guess it worked the first time." And so now he. He uh, explains to her how beautiful she is. And then in verse 8, it's almost like Solomon is back into character as Solomon. He says that in the eyes of this woman and the eyes of this man, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines, virgins without number. But this one is the perfect. He's describing what he wishes he had, a kind of love, not the queens, not the concubines, but a shepherd girl who loves him just for him. Chapter Chapter 6, verse 8. Then he talks to her, my dove, my perfect one is the only one, the only one of the mother pure. The women saw her, they call her blessed. The queens and concubines even praise her. So now Solomon is going, you know, could have been. He's happy she's got all of her teeth. Yeah, and they look like sheep. <clears throat> so let's skip over to verse uh, chapter 8, uh, and we'll finish this up. He, he speaks more about her um, uh, in chapter 7. He, he talks to her about how beautiful she is and so forth and so on. Uh, so she says, verse uh, chapter four, uh, if I found you outside, I would kiss you. Chapter eight, verse one. Uh, if I found you, I would kiss you. I would lead you into the house of my mother. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate, obviously the sexual imagery. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. And look at what she says again. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I adjure you, do not stir up passion. Do not wake up love until it pleases. Well, what kind of love is worth awakening? Verse 6, set me as a seal upon your heart. 
A seal is permanent. A seal cannot be revoked. Set me as a seal, a seal upon your arm. Love is strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Waters cannot quench love. Floods cannot drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. It's, it's far more valuable than all of his wealth. Is that seal what it says there? Uh, place me like a seal over your heart. Is that like a metaphor on the marriage? Is that yes, yes, that's the covenant language. Um, a, a king would have a ring that would be a, his seal, like a notary has a seal. And, and when a letter was, uh, or an edict was given, he would seal it with uh, wax and his imprint. And uh, she's saying, your imprint is on my heart. That's why we wear rings, right? Your ring is on my finger. Uh, I, I have a token. I have a, a symbol of our covenant relationship. Um, so the last comparison to Solomon, the woman is talking, chapter 8, verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard. He let his vineyard out to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. What a valuable vineyard. But my vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, Solomon, you can have the thousand. The keepers of the fruit, you can have the 200. I've got my guy. You dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice. The male, the, the groom, he says, let me hear your voice. And she says, make haste, my beloved. Do not ever be far from me. So the, the book ends suddenly. But back to your question, Bill, and, and we'll be done. And I, I'm sorry, I just talked the whole time. I think this leads into Ecclesiastes where he has uh, written a story where he sets up a comparison of the kind of love that he really wants and the kind of love that he ended up with. I mean, you know, you make a joke, 700 women, you want a night for two years? Uh, 300 concubines, is that like the morning or the afternoon? I mean, it, it just... The, the, the imagery there just blows our mind and and the um, the absurdity of it is what cheapens it, right? I can understand if he married Pharaoh's daughter as a political alliance, but 700 political alliances, is there not one woman in there somewhere that he really loves? And I think that's why he wrote the poem. Uh, but again, that's my take on it. You will read many other takes, but I think Solomon wrote it as a love poem and as a way to say this is what love is supposed to be. All right. I will see you guys on Sunday. Uh, Song of Solomon. One more that we've got to get in the books. These are probably the most drinking out of a fire hose you're ever going to have on Wednesday nights, but they're a lot of fun. <laughs>